This morning I want to talk about what God wants you to know, because let me just tell you, and, and, and uh, I got, I've got very few things to put on the outline. I've got a lot to say about those very few things, and I don't have much time, so I have no clue. I may not get past, like, even my introduction today, and we'll just, if I do, I'll just cut it off. We'll have fun with it and go on. But, but I want you to understand something. I think that if you're like me, I grew up in church. I started going to church nine months before I was born. And, and I, I mean, I went to, uh, back then as Baptist, not everybody in here was a, you know, born and bred Southern Baptist like me. I grew up going to RAs. That's what, well, actually I started in, uh, what we used to call sunbeams. Now, if you do it, it's called mission friends. And that's for the toddlers, preschoolers. Hey, thank you, brother. You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and so I was a sunbeam for the Lord. And, uh. And, and then I went to RAs, which is Royal Ambassadors. That's for the little boys and the guys. It's sort of like Christian Boy Scouts supposed to be. Uh, ours didn't quite work out that way. I went to GAs because my mom was a GA director and I had older sisters. So I had to go there too. So I went to everything in church. And I got the idea that Christianity was about going to church. I got the idea that Christianity was about praying a certain prayer and inviting Jesus into my heart. And what I learned is... Both those things are good and have their place and may be necessary even, but they're not the whole picture and they're not the full truth. Because you can go to church every day of your life, you can pray as many prayers as you want to pray and die and bust hell wide open. You've got to understand this. And this is what we've come to in Ephesians. Paul is afraid these Ephesus people do not understand what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done in their life. And so he begins the passage we're going to look at today with a prayer. And in that prayer, he's asking God for something very specific. And here's what I want you to take home with you before we read the scripture. Is that you already possess everything you need. You already possess everything you need. Let me add to that by saying, in Christ. Everything you need to live life as a Christian is already yours in Christ. Christ, and I'm using that word very specifically because the Bible uses that word. In as as uh, I might have said this before, but in Greek, the prepositions can all be described with a box. You're in, you're out, you're around, you're under, you're over, you go out of, you come into, and it's very specifically as if Christ is a box containing all that God in heaven is. You are in. Christ. That's why Romans 6 talks about that we are baptized into Christ through the Holy Spirit. God, because baptism means to immerse, to be totally covered in something. And we are immersed into the Spirit of God. So God is above us, below us, around us, in us, through us, out of us. Because we're in Christ. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to show you some practical implications of thinking wrongly about that through this passage. All right? Because everything you need, you already possess. Warren Wearsby tells the story of William Randolph Hearst. Some of our young people may not know who he is. He was a news tycoon. Back then, uh, newspapers were the main modes of news, and he made uh, gazillions of dollars that way. He was a tycoon. He had tons of money. And one day he heard about this masterpiece of art and decided he had to have it for his collection. So he told his agent, I want you to find this piece of art. I got to have it for my collection. No matter what it costs, get it for me. So the agent went out searching the world over for that piece of art that he had seen a picture of and heard about and wanted to possess. A few months later, his agent came back and said, you already own it. It's been in your warehouse for months. That's the Christian. We own the masterpiece of heaven. He, uh, he is my beloved and I'm his. 
And we live as if God doesn't know us, doesn't care about us, doesn't own us, hasn't given us anything. And this passage in Ephesians unfolds not only who he is, the plan he has for you, and the power he has to implement that plan. So if you will with me, if you want to rise, uh, we'll begin reading verse 17. Kind of introduced it last week. As Paul says, that's why he's been praying. He did not cease to give thanks. Praying for them in verse 17, he picks it up and says, This is my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I may not get past that verse in preaching today, but we're going to read the rest. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the unmeasurable greatness, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I hope I get to that verse because, woo, that's shouting grounds, okay? And so you'll be with me when we get there. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Let's pray right now as God meets with us. Father God, we bow in your presence because you wish to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Jesus. Lord, first I pray that you would give that spirit of wisdom and revelation to me, not as the preacher, even though I wanted as a preacher so I can explain this as, in the best way possible. But God, as your son, I would need to know more about my brother and Savior and Lord, Jesus. I need to understand who he is, the power he possesses that he's put in to me and to this body of believers. And so, God, give that to me. And now I pray that you give it. Give the spirit of wisdom and revelation to every person and sound of my voice, every member of Calvary Baptist Church, that we might serve you to the best Not only of our ability, but of your ability in us. And this we pray and ask because of the authority of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you aren't too excited. You go ahead. The first thing I want you to do is realize what you have. Now I'm going to warn you, there'll be no more on the screen than that phrase. Realize what you have. But I got about this much pages of notes, okay? So listen quickly, because I'm going to talk quickly. You see, in that day, uh, there, there were some things going on. And, and by the way, I, I mentioned the thing about the shack. I wanted to say something else. Many people want that kind, of, that kind of experience with God. They want to hear God speak. If you want to hear God speak, he has spoken. Open it. You say, no, I want to hear him in an audible voice. Then read it out loud. I wish that were original with me, but we heard a guy Tuesday say that, and we all went, that's good right there. I'm going to use that. And he told us we could. This is God's word, and when you open it, he speaks. When you close it, he goes quiet. 
He will not speak to you apart from this word, and he won't say anything contrary to this word. And anything anybody says contrary to this word, including if I say it, it is wrong, it is heresy, and it needs to be addressed. And if I say something that is contrary to God's word, I hope you tell me, because I will repent of that and fix it ASAP. In other words, I'll fall to my knees right then, ask God's forgiveness, and I'll stand before you and say, I said that wrong, here's the truth, okay? Because this is important. This is so important. Your eternal life depends on this. And so we got to get it right, okay? So I, I am, I'm that passionate. In fact, in the book of Psalms, God said, I have exalted my word above my name. This word is important, and we need to know it. And who is the word? Jesus. This the written word tells us about the living word, right? And Jesus is also the final word. I don't care what some preacher on TV says, the Lord gave me a revelation this week. No, he did not, you liar. (laughs) Ain't happening. The Lord may have illuminated his revelation to you, but he can give you a new revelation. Might be, you know, you finally caught on to what he'd already said. I understand if we say it that way. But I hear these guys, they act as if God's giving them scripture every day, and he is not. Scripture is scripture, okay? So I just want to get that out of the way, because it was really bothering me, and I forgot. Um, but Paul is asking God that these Ephesian, this, this church in Ephesus be delivered from frantically searching for what they already got. We just, that's how we are. We think that we are lacking in something, and our prayers reflect that. But we already have everything we need, okay? And so you got to realize uh, what you already have. You see... Everything that you need has been given to you already in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ that has opened heaven for us. Because you and I, and, here, and you know the reason why, I, I, but I'm going to say it just in case you don't. You're a, you were a sinner. You were born a sinner. I, I saw this, uh, this seminary president or professor this week. I saw his picture on Facebook holding his grandchild. And he said, if my theology was bad, I would say she's perfect. <laughs> In other words, that child was born a sinner, and he knew she wasn't perfect, but she looked perfect to him. I got what he said. Only, only us, you know, crazy theologues, we, we, we think that's funny. But anyway, it's the truth, though. We were born a sinner, and because we were a sinner, we would never seek God, and heaven is shut to us. Because God is a pure eyes to look on what is holy. He can't allow sin in his presence. So how are we ever going to get heaven if we are lost if we are without hope if we do not have salvation if we don't have a way to access God so Jesus came and he said and 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 he's more than this but I just want to make this point at this point he said I am the door of the sheepfold right do you know what a door is what is a door somebody said yes so go ahead tell me what's a door okay I heard (laughs) So, one, say it again. Right, thank you. She said, let things in and out. In other words, it's a functional hole in a wall. <laughs> right? And the wall that separates us from God is sin. Jesus said, I'm the door. So that you can pass from death into life. So you can pass from want into uh, fulfillment. So you can pass from sin into righteousness. And I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through 
me. That includes Mary, that includes Buddha, that includes Muhammad, and we all know that, that, that uh, Allah is, is Satan, he's a false god, he's not a god. That includes anything the Shintos would tell you, includes anything, uh, um, I can't even think of the name now, they got about a billion gods, Hindus would tell you. None of their gods, none of their ideas, none of that will get you into heaven. Knocking on doors and how watchtowers won't get you into heaven. Riding a bicycle for two years, wearing a white shirt and a black tie and a name tag, and telling people about the angel that gave another gospel, which Paul specifically warns about in Galatians, will get you into heaven. They are religious, but they are lost. And my friend, understand this, walking an aisle in a Baptist church and going through the waters will not get you into heaven. There's something else that's got to get you into heaven. And the thing is that we were separated from God in Christ. And so, in Christ, God, Jesus opened all of heaven to us. Salvation opens heaven for us. It brings us into the fullness of who God is for us. And the problem is today, people are praying for more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit, more power, more blessing, a higher life, a deeper life, as if there's a seat super secret prayer or formula or confession or if I just pray right or give right or go right or do right, somehow I get into it. But I want you to turn in your Bible with me just quickly to Second Peter. And hear what the apostle who literally physically handled Jesus after he rose because Peter was like that. In Second Peter 1, 3... You might want to circle that, write it down, study it this week, pray over it. Because some of y'all are going, now wait a minute, what's he talking about? Well, here it is. His divine power, talking about Jesus, has granted to us all things. How many things? That pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You already got it. Let me read it again, because y'all are in stunned silence. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Wherever there's a promise in the Bible, it's yours until God says you can't have it. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, not partakers that you become God, but partakers that you have access to whatever God needs for you to have, unless he says no. And by the way, God never tells a Christian no. He said, now, hold on, pastor, wait a minute. I've always heard God answers prayers, yes, no, and wait a while. Well, there is some truth to that. I I don't want to just, like, ruin everybody's Christian life here. But I want to enrich it. God never says no to the believer. He will either give you your petition because it was within his will and his divine purpose for your life, or he will give you a greater sense of his presence in your life. We call that grace. He either says yes to the request or yes to, well, you need me, so I'll be there for you. Paul asked for something three times, and God said, no, no, no. So in the sense of God said, no. But then God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I've given you the answer. It's just not the one you want. You following me? You don't have to agree, but you following me? Okay. In other words, there are things I want that God's not going to give me, but what he will 
promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you in the worst trials, and I will never forsake you because he forsook Jesus. He, does, he, he won't forsake us. And why? If God's of pure eyes, he can't look on sin. Why will God be with us and not forsake us? Because I have the righteousness of God in Christ. So he can look on me. He looks on me as his child and he will not leave me. He will not forsake me. But that will, you, you'll understand this better as we get through this passage, which we won't today. I can tell already. Okay. And so the new birth grants the believer everything in Christ. And it, Ephesus in the same neighborhood of Colossae and in that region, they were suffering from from people that wanted to mess things up. One of the things is the, the people in Colossians, uh, Colossians is just the next book. Ephesians and Colossians are sister books written to the same region. And, and, and so Colossians answers some of these things very specifically. So I just turn over a couple pages of Colossians and I'll show you a couple of things. First of all, there were people in Colossae, which is the neighborhood of Ephesus, that taught it was Christ plus human philosophy. You got to know more than just the Bible. The, the hallmark of every cult, every false religion, is they're wrong about who Jesus is. Either he's all God or he's all man. He's not both at the same time fully. God is fully human and fully, I mean, Jesus is fully human and fully divine all the time. And so they're wrong about that. They're wrong about whether he's savior of the world or just a way instead of the way. They're always wrong something about Jesus. Let me prove it. Mormons believe that Jesus is an evolutionary uh, incarnation of Adam. That's what they believe. And that, well, there's a bunch of other weird stuff they believe, but they're wrong. All right? Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is God the Father. No, he's not. He's God the Son. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three people, persons, one God. So I thought we believe in one God. We do. He is one. But, he's, but he is revealed and exposed in three persons. So can you explain that? Nope. Anybody says they can is lying because none of us can because it's the nature of God in the human mind so far. In glory, we may be able to understand it. But on earth, the closest thing he gave us to understand that is marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So when God sees a married couple, he sees one person. That's why he wants you to stay together. So wherever God finds you, stay there. You with me? Okay, because, you know, things happen. We're sinners. But where God has found you, stay there. Grow in grace there. All right. Anyway, so they believe they had to add, and today we see that in modern liberalism. Oh, well, you don't understand. You're not as enlightened as us. You see, we, we've become smarter. I was on the phone with a lady this church in my neighborhood fired their pastor. And for nothing more than he was preaching the word. And I can promise you that's all he was doing. And so in our church, um, because I'm this way sometimes, I said the demons descended on blah, 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 Baptist church last week and they fired their pastor. And I said, and I don't mind if you tell them that because I knew people in my church had friends in that church and they might have been sympathetic. So I just want to love them and I wasn't scared. So Thursday, I got a phone call. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I was at blah, 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 Baptist Church last week when they fired the pastor, and I understand you said we were demonic. I said, yep. <laughs> so I wasn't cruel. I wasn't ugly. I talked like I was. I wasn't. I, we just started having a discussion, and where the discussion finally ended was when she said, well, I know Paul wrote those things, 
But we have evolved since then. And I said, ma'am, let me stop you right there. What you just uttered is a damnable heresy. God's word is truth and it does not change. And so that kind of ended the conversation and we were nice to each other. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying it wasn't like I was yelling at her and hung up on her and all that. No, no, no. I was very nice, but I had to stop her and say, no, 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 no. Because when it comes to truth, I'm going to be really, okay, but, but I won't be mean to the person. Now, was it? But I'm just telling you, liberalism is, is, well, you see, yeah, I know the Bible worded it that way. But back then, they didn't understand. Well, see, we've got to change with the times. Heresy. Neo-orthodoxy, existentialism, other theological philosophical systems. Colossians 2.8, because you asked you to open to Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty the sea according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is all there is. And you don't have to add human philosophy to him. Secondly, they had Christ plus legalism. That's probably a little bit more common uh, amongst our churches. They had observance of special days or fasts and various rituals, all for the purpose of attaining a higher spiritual level. Okay, and, 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 and having a, well, I'm better than you because I fasted more than you, or I pray more than you, or I observe this thing more than you. It's legalism. In our church, man, when I was growing up, there were a bunch of legalists. And they told us that if we had, you know, as a guy, if we had long hair, we, we were of the devil. Back in the 70s, if you didn't wear, see, they've become popular again, so now I don't know what they do, but in the 70s, wire rim glasses were more popular. So if you wore wire rim glasses, you were, you were horrible. You had to wear, you know, the 50s black thick frame glasses. Well, those are popular again now, so I don't know what they say now. Like, what decade did you choose that God said, this is the decade we got to look like? They thought you had to wear a suit to church, because if you didn't, obviously, you know, and I said, well, the mafia wears a suit all the time. Does that make them spiritual? <laughs> you got to listen to a certain kind of music, because that other music, I said, the devil, you better be careful. Jesus said, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It says this in Mark. They've committed blasphemy because they accounted that the miracles that Jesus did were of the devil. And he said, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That won't be forgiven. And so you better be careful when you look at someone else in their religious expression, and say, well, that's of the devil. You better know that's of the devil because you're in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because God blesses people that I don't agree with. Okay? I'm just telling you, there are some things we ought to fight for, but it better be revealed truth of the Scripture. Other than that, okay, let's pray together that the world might be brought to Christ. And we get caught up in these secondary things. So the Colossians had this problem of Christ plus some kind of legalistic system. Look at verse 16 and 17 in Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are just a shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. There's nothing on this world going to save me or get me lost. Only Christ saves me. He is the substance of what we believe and who we believe and how we live our life. And the rest is just peripheral. Now, we may order our life a certain way to have a good testimony among other people because we need to do that because of the way they understand things. But friend, there's nothing I can do to get me lost. I am saved. 
And God won't let go. And again, when you get to the end of this passage, you'll see that very clearly. They also had Christ plus a mystical experience or a vision, which always leads to pride. Well, God appeared to me in a dream. Listen, I don't need to go see a movie about a three-year-old boy that went to heaven and know heaven is for real. The word of God told me heaven is for real. And I don't need somebody to have some... My best friend died. So I asked him, did you see anything? (laughs) I wanted to know because I'm curious. He said, nope, but I was at perfect peace. I didn't care if I kept going or came back. And he's alive today and pastor in a church. I'm just saying. Because look at Colossians chapter 2, 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his, notice this, sensuous mind. I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's the, the experiences and visions. And then they had Christ plus asceticism, which uses that word in my Bible, but that's just extra favor through self-denial, isolating yourself, becoming a hermit. I like what Vance Abner sa- said, no, no, no man was holier for living in a hole. So that we avoid contact with contaminated Christians. I can't go shop in that store. Why not? They sell beer. We used to say that in the 70s because there are stores that didn't. Now you can't go anywhere. Well, we're not going to Disney. Why not? Well, you know, they have that parade every year. Didn't Jesus eat with prostitutes? I'd rather be part of a church that Loves and ministers to prostitutes than I would a bunch of stuck-up, self-righteous, stuffy Baptists. <laughs> because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And separating ourselves from others. That if you're not holy because Christ's righteousness is in you, avoiding those who don't have Christ in their life will not help you at all. We are to take Christ to them. Now, I understand if you're weak. Look, if, you're, if you were a drunk before you were a Christian, don't go in a bar to witness. I'm just saying. Alcohol has no temptation to me. I don't care about it, don't want it, never have, never will. So I'm pretty safe going in a bar. There's some other things I better stay away from. And you too. Don't look at me like, oh, a preacher's got sin in his life. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and so do you, brother. <laughs> And we'll talk about mine if I can talk about yours. We all need help. We each one need the grace of God. We got to help each other. That's why Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Encourage each other to Lord love and good works. Because we all need each other as part of God's grace to get us to where we need to be, right? So they had this belief that if they denied their bodies, that, that somehow that would help them. But look at verse 21 and 23 in, in Colossians 2. Do not handle, uh, well, let me back it up to 20. So if Christ died, uh, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human perceptions and teachings. These have indeed an appearance, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The reason you indulge in the flesh is because you want to. 
I've sat in front of many a couple who are being devastated by the husband or the wife's affair. And um, I would say 100% of the time I've heard these words. I don't know why I did that. To which I always reply, I know exactly why you did it. Would you like to hear? And then they're a little shocked. The eyes go a little wide. And the, usually the other spouse goes, yeah. And they go, uh, uh, yeah. And I say, because you wanted to. Period. That's it. That's why you did it. James tells you that. You're carried away. You're enticed by your own desires and lust. So you go do it. Don't try to, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Well, you know, so-and-so, if they just weren't being the way they were, I'd have been, they just make me so angry. No, you're angry because you want to be angry. You say, well, what's being angry got to do with anything? Y'all know that's a sin in Galatians that's equal to sexual sin and wrong religion and gluttony. It looks like a Baptist businessman way he describes it. Anger, wrath, malice, division, dissension. That's as much of a sin as any sin you want to name, my brother and sister. But as Baptists, we okay that. Well, you know, that's just how we are. That's how we fight. We're family. (laughs) No, I don't think so. So don't blame something else for that. You did it because you wanted to. You wanted to be angry. You wanted to be upset. You wanted that thing that you knew you shouldn't indulge in. Twice this week, I have been on top of boxes of Krispy Kreme that were free to me. I could have eaten all I wanted for free. Do you know how hard it was to walk away? I just had to get people between me and them and go, oh, because I love those things, but it would have been bad for me. It wouldn't have been sin for you. It would have been sin for me at that, that moment. The cure is introduced, look in Colossians, in Colossians 1.12. The cure is introduced in Colossians 1.12, where he says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life in light he has qualified you you couldn't qualify yourself so he qualified you to share in his inheritance he made you righteous so you could share in the inheritance of jesus i was lost now i'm found and we say it and i still say it But I'm wrong when I say it in a certain way. I say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true, but you know what that means? I'm no longer a sinner. I'm now a saint. And saints aren't sinners. Say, do you sin? Yeah. Well, how are you a sinner? Because when I say I'm a sinner, that's my nature. And the Bible says in Colossians 3, if you want to read it when you go home, that what I was in Adam, my old nature, died. Colossians 3, 3. For you are dead. Who's dead? You are. You are dead. And Colossians 3, 5 says, then put to death the things that remain on this earth that tend to make you want to sin. So you have to still crucify the parts that remain on earth. But friend, I'm no longer a sinner, even though I commit sin and I go to God and confess, hey, I blew that. You said that was wrong and I blew it. And I'm just telling you. And he says, you're already forgiven. Let's not do that again. Thank you. And we move on. That's a whole different stance than the way most of us live our Christian life. Well, I just can't, I can't get over this sin. I can't succeed over this sin. You're right, you can't, but Christ in you can. And that's what the rest of this passage is going to show us in Ephesians. But I just want you to see that summarized in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he introduces it that he 
made us qualified to share. And in Ephesians, I mean, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, he says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You've been filled with Christ. And you ought to live like it. Just by silly, simple illustration, this morning when I got up, Everything I'm wearing was on a hanger. So it's pretty flat and lifeless. It's not that much bigger now, but. (laughs) I put my body in this cloth, and this cloth has to go where I take it. You're just an empty suit that Jesus wants to fill. And once he fills you, you don't tell the body where to go, or Christ where to go. He tells you where to go. Follow me? So we are the body of Christ clothed in his righteousness. And we go where he tells us to go. We do what he tells us to do. Amen? Okay. I'm going to press on for a couple minutes. Because here's what Christians to do. Today we pray for light when we already have the light of the scripture. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Right? We pray for uh, strength, yet Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We pray for love. And in Romans uh, chapter 5, in verse 5, which I'm not going to quote, says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You already have the love of Christ poured into your heart. We pray for grace. Listen to 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. It says there. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest on me. My grace is sufficient to give you the power. And then we pray for peace. In Philippians 4, 7 says the peace of God will keep us, right? So we already have all the things that we pray for so much because they're already given us in Christ. The problem is we don't know how to access it. You're either ignorant that you already got it or you don't know how to grab hold of it. You don't know how to get a hold of it. We need to pray for the grace to receive it and appropriate and use it in our life what it's already given. The problem's not a lack of resources. It's a, pra- a, a problem of us having a lack of revelation and wisdom to understand how to get it and use it properly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 12, he speaks to this. And I'm going to turn there because I want you to hear that before I show you this. Because I still haven't got to the first verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 9 through 12 um, says, Sorry, my eyes are not focusing well. Okay. But it, as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, notice that, revealed to us through his, the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For, he, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us 
by God. We all have physical, moral, and even spiritual needs today. We need help. But no Christian needs or can get more of Christ. You've got all that he all that he is and all that he'll ever be, you already have it. And so back in Ephesians, and I'm going to go back to Ephesians 1 now, notice his prayer. I pray, in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the second time Jesus has been called Lord in in three verses, verse 15, verse 17, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that word there. A spirit, in Greek, if that word A had been there, it would be the Holy Spirit, but it's not there. It is just, in general, a spirit. And so what he's asking is that you have not necessarily the Holy Spirit, because you already have the Holy Spirit, but that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And let me define those terms real quickly uh, for us. Wisdom, uh, well, the first, the spirit, is pneuma, which just means a wind or a breath. So it's just a wind or breath of that. Wisdom is the fullness of godly knowledge and understanding. In other words, you can know something, but you may not know how to apply it. My sister is a nurse. I was talking to two nurses earlier today whose names escaped me, so I apologize wherever y'all are. But just this morning, back there in the gymnasium, I was talking to two ladies who are nurses, and I was telling them my sister's five years older than me. She went through nursing school, and I used to read her textbook and ask her about it. So I can throw out a lot of medical terms. I have no clue what they mean. I cannot nurse you. I cannot doctor you. I don't know because I'm not trained in that. But I know the language a little bit. Wisdom is knowing the language of God, what God has given us, and then being able to apply it in our life. So he wants us to have a spirit of the fullness of his knowledge. See, knowledge has to be experiential to become ours, right? You can know it with your head and not be yours. You've got to experience it. I knew about marriage until I was married. Now I've got a few more things to tell you. It's like the single guy or the, 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 the young preacher. They didn't have any children, so he preached a sermon on the Ten Commandments of child rearing. Then he had some children. And he preached on, I got some suggestions for you. (laughs) Because he had lived it out. Sometimes when we live it out, we find out what we thought was true is not true. And so he prays that we would have a, a spirit of wisdom and look, of revelation. Now you said earlier, preacher, you said earlier God's not revealing any new knowledge. Yeah, you're right, he's not. But revelation means to expose it, to bring it out so that you can see it. Okay, I have some stuff in my pockets, and I didn't plan on this. Well, I'll, I'll do this. You figure I got something in my pocket, but I'll show you. I got a wallet in my pocket. There it is. But unless I leave it in here, it is not revealed. This is revelation. The book of Revelation means to expose, to make it known, to open, to take off the lid so you can look into it. And so what he's saying is, I want God's wisdom to be revealed to you in such a way that you experience the fullness of who God is, the plan he has for you, the power he has to implement it, and the person of who he is. Now that was the first point in my sermon. I got to quit. Because we'll be here to one if I keep going. So we're going to come back next week and we're going to look at the three things that God wants you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation about. And here's what I would tell you this week. You can go ahead and put up the action steps. Wow. But that first one, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand what you already have in Christ. This week, 
Open the scripture and pray, God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand what's in your word. David prayed, Lord, open my heart that I might behold the wonderful things in your law. And so sometimes when I'm preaching, I pray, God, open my eyes of understanding that I might behold wonderful things in your word. It's a good prayer to pray for you. Read. I mean, y'all just open your Bible and start reading, or do you say, God, I'm, I'm about to open your word, and I need your help? Because you do. This is, this is a divine revelation of God. This isn't God, but it's the divine revelation of God. And so it would be smart to ask the one who wrote it to reveal it to us. I'm sorry to say I don't know any authors of any books, but I do. Sitting behind me there. But suppose I read some book and I just didn't get it. And then I sat down with the author and he explained it to me. I go, oh, I'm a, I'm a geek. Y'all, y'all know what a geek is? I'm a nerd, a geek. I don't know what you call it. I love the Lord of the Rings. Anybody here know about that? Hey, all right, cool. Tolkien helped translate one of the versions of the Bible. He's the guy that led C.S. Lewis to the Lord, in case you didn't know that. I'm sorry that dude's dead, because I got a lot of questions for him. Because, <laughs> man, he wrote stuff in there, and you're going, where did you get that one, man? Of course, he used to sit around with his friends once a week, and they used to do that, but called themselves the Inklings, and they'd sit there, and they would talk about the stuff they were writing. My point is this. Sometimes you open the Bible, and you go, I just don't get it. Well, why don't you ask the guy who wrote it? Because he can explain that to you, and you don't need me to explain it. I'm glad to help. But I got to get it the same way you got to get it. Greatest thing I can ever tell you, you ask me questions. I don't know. Why don't you go study that? I'll study it. We'll come back and see what we found out. Because the only way you're going to get this is by looking into it. I remember my kids were in Christian school when they were younger. And teachers would say, oh, well, you know that because your daddy's a preacher. And my daughter said, I don't know that because my daddy's a preacher. I know that because I studied it for myself. Because I raised them to be like me. So anyway, um. A little caustic there, sorry. Listen, friend, you can know as much about God as I know. Preacher this week was talking about how when a pastor or seminary professor goes to a house for a meal, and now y'all are going to be nervous to ask me over, but don't be. They always call on us to pray. And we had a man um, who has now been on several, and by several I mean several a year for years on end, mission trips into Africa, um, because he got saved because his neighbor was a friend of mine that I discipled, and he led him to the Lord. And the very first, and they, what they'd been doing is going to his house for, he would have him over every Sunday for dinner because he started coming to church and all that, and he didn't know the Lord yet. And so after church, he'd have dinner, and he'd ask him all these questions about what I just preached on. And then he finally, one week he got saved, and that next Sunday he said, Preacher, I want you to come to the house with me because now he's brave enough to ask me to come too with his friend. So we went to their house, and the table is set, and we, and so, let's pray, and we all held hands. His name, they call him Red, that's not his name. And Red, we're all holding hands, he's real nervous. He said, well, pastor, do you want to pray? And I just said, well, you know, where I come from, the man of the house prays, you pray. <laughs> I think he stuttered out something like, God, uh, thank you and bless this food. And I was like, that was a good job, man, that's what we were supposed to pray for. Friend, you know God as well as I do if he lives in you. I don't have a special insider relationship that you don't have. This week, pray that God would give you the spirit of revelation and wisdom of who Jesus is. You already have everything you need 
this week to be a witness for Jesus everywhere you go. Based on his word.